0: Hi there, and welcome to Inside Intercom. I'm Liam Garrity. My guest today is Caroline Jarrett, author of Surveys That Work, a practical guide for designing and running better surveys. For more than two decades, Caroline has been working with government agencies, major corporates, and not-for-profit clients to improve their surveys. Caroline says, better surveys start with improving the user experience, so you get better response rates and better quality data. So on today's episode, Caroline takes us through the whole gamut, from writing good questions that users can understand and answer, building and designing the questionnaire, testing the survey, and of course, how to turn the raw data into valuable insight. There are great insights into surveys in this episode. So let's head over to studio to meet Caroline Jarrett. Caroline, you're very welcome. It's great to have you on the show.
1: Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me.
0: Just before we get into the nuts and bolts of of surveys, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in the world of forms and surveys?
1: Well, completely by accident. When I do sort of face-to-face talks about forms, I used to tell people that when other little girls were kind of playing with Barbies. I was cutting out forms from paper and putting them together. And I just like to gauge how long it takes the audience to realise that's obviously a complete
0: joke. (laughs)
1: But, you know, what happened actually was that way back in 1990, I got the opportunity to be a project manager of a, a project that was using optical character recognition techniques It was a rank Xerox project for the European Patent Office to capture patents, which is a very, very specialist area. And the idea was we would scan the patents and digitize them. Right. And it turned out that optical character recognition was good enough, but there were some challenges around patents, such as we imagine that patents are interesting, but they're really not. I mean, a good 30% of them are obscure chemical names, so r o c. r optical character recognition had to scan things like oh i don't know open bracket a comma c minus hexi fluoro, <laughs> open square bracket <laughs> you know, and suffice it to say spell checker would not work, and we also had to scan patents exactly as submitted, so if there were spelling mistakes or nonsense in the anything like that that had to be submitted like that to the patent examiner for legal reasons right and also in the european union sorry the european patent office i i'm not quite sure if it's a european union thing or not so I, i'll correct myself there the patents could be submitted in english french or german and they always had an abstract in each of the three languages so you were guaranteed to have english french and german in every submission uh, the majority of them were in english but they could be submitted in french or german so you have all the you know the other things around um french and german german has longer words than english uh, both languages have a lot more accents than english right so i accidentally ended up learning quite a bit about the practicalities of implementing optical character recognition in a fairly complex environment and then i got a job with a big computer systems integrator in the uk Um, At the time, they were called Bull Information Systems and they're they're now called Stereo, I think. But they were delivering all of the in-office personal computers to what was then called the Inland Revenue. And the Revenue had struck a deal with Bull to try using optical character recognition to process some tax forms. And I got involved in project managing the delivery of these optical character recognition systems. A long story short, they didn't work at all and uh, <laughs> and I thought oh okay so I got permission from the revenue to go and observe the systems in use and uh, it turned out for example one of the systems was in use for processing forms that were broadly speaking filled in by retired people with very low incomes and it, it, uh, optical character recognition then and to this day, cannot deal with a form where someone has written C letter attached. Yeah. Ah. Okay. And there were so many inventive ways in which people could mess up the form. So, for example, it had one line for your interest from your bank or building society account. So if people had two accounts, they would write two lines of tiny little numbers, one above the other in the one box which is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. It just was my OCR machine had no chance of dealing with that. Ah. And that was in 1992, thereabouts, and I I started working on that at the beginning of 1992, and we're just coming up to the 30 years. I just got really, really interested in how do we design forms so that people can fill them in correctly. (laughs) And I've just not lost interest in that ever since. I've continued to be absolutely fascinated by that challenge And here we are, still really interested in it. Still really really interested
0: in it. That's brilliant. I I love, I especially love talking, you know, when people are so passionate about, you know, the the thing they work at. So I I suppose, like, how do you define a survey?
1: Well, I guess I didn't quite answer the bit of the question was how did I get interested in surveys, given (laughs) I'm really interested in forms? Because I'm the form specialist, I'm a pragmatist about surveys. I would not could not describe myself as a survey methodologist. To be honest, I couldn't even describe myself as being all that enthusiastic about surveys. (laughs) But what happened was that I obsessively tried to find all the academic literature and books written on forms. And to this day, I have one small bookshelf in my office, which is pretty much everything I could find. And so there wasn't much out there. So I started looking for other areas where people might have written about forms. And surveys just really came to mind because one of the really interesting challenges for me, or thing I'm particularly fascinated in, is how do people answer questions and how do people think through the process of answering questions? Mm. So that to help us to say, well, how do we write and pose the questions in ways that get accurate answers? And that's also a problem that's really, really important to the survey methodologists. And so I found buckets of really interesting and useful literature in the world of surveys that helped me in my work on forms. And one thing led to another. I started answering questions on mailing lists about surveys because I sort of accidentally learned about them. And then my mentor, Ginny Reddish, told me that I had to write a book on surveys. And then (laughs) here we are. I did it.
0: Yeah. Fab. So I suppose, you know, for, for people listening, like, could you take us through the process of creating a survey? Now, I know it's a, I've been reading through your kind of presentations and everything. I know it's a, it, you know, it really should take a couple of days, but consider we've about, you know, 15 minutes or 20 minutes. What are kind of, you know, the, the overview of kind of creating a survey?
1: Well, one of the things that I always sort of start with is is most people, or often start with, most people come to me and say, can you have a look at my survey and give me a questionnaire? Now, obviously, these two words are used very interchangeably. I mean, one of my favorite books on survey design is actually a book that's got the word questionnaire in the title. That would be A.P. Oppenheim's book. And one of my favorite books on questionnaire design by Mick Cooper, who's Really, I can't recommend his work too highly to anyone who wants to get interested in the literature. Mick Cooper's book is called Web Survey Design, but it's actually about questionnaires. Now, let me clarify. I've tried to use the word questionnaire for the question and answer thing we actually put in front of the people we want to answer.
0: Mm.
1: And the word survey for the whole process, starting from, oh, I think we might want to do a survey right through to delivering some kind of number as the result right so that's how i use it of course in real life people tend to use them very much interchangeably so in terms of how do you design a questionnaire well really ideally you need to put that into the context of what you want to achieve with the survey overall and then how do you design a survey i have a seven-step process where i start with saying well work out your goals for the survey, why you want to do it and what you hope to gain by doing it. What sort of decisions will you make based on the results of the survey? And then working through, thinking about who you want to answer and how do you find a sample of them? Because generally, with most surveys, we're much better off using as small a sample as possible. And then Thinking about, well, the questions you want to ask, which obviously relate to the goals, but also relate to the people who you want to answer because you want questions that people can actually answer and make sense to them. Then building that stuff into a questionnaire, Of course, these days we have many sorts of different tools to help us do that. But the hard bit is the thought process that goes Mm. into it. Getting it out, which I borrowed the world field work from the world of market research. They talk about putting a questionnaire into field, and I couldn't think of a better term to call it than field work, which is getting your questionnaires out to people and getting them back. And then at that point, you have some responses, which hopefully people will have answered. So you have to clean the responses, think about them, analyze them in various ways. And then my final step, I've called reports because just having responses isn't good enough. You've actually got to do something with them that gets those responses to the decision makers, which might be yourself. I mean, you know, you can do a little tiny poll. I mean, for example, once I was interested in, well, should I write this article or this article for my next column? And I just popped a question. I thought, well, people on Twitter who follow me and predominantly my audience for what I write, so I thought, well, I'll make a little Twitter poll. I offered them two options. It wasn't in any way something statistical. I just needed to make a quick decision, put it up. People clicked on the poll. One topic was more popular than the other. That was good enough for me. I just wrote, wrote things. So, I mean, that probably took me, you know, 10 minutes to think it through and and. 24 hours to wait for the results of the poll and it was better than kind of hammering my head about which one to write so that's the sort of tiniest end of the whole thing and at the most elaborate end we have things like the many countries have 10 yearly censuses and the preparation planning and testing for the next census starts before the existing census is finished so it takes 10 to 15 years to do a census so that's the other end of it
0: yeah so, I suppose like if you have kind of once you come up with the the questions that you you know need answers to, how do you go about targeting like the correct people and and how important is it catching them you know in the moment?
1: I'm really glad you mentioned catching them in the moment because I sort of really characterize three different strategies for finding people you want to answer. And catching them in the moment is, I think, one of the most effective. So a lot of us see these pop-up surveys on websites. And so you can catch people in the moment that they arrive at the website and you have an opportunity to ask them perhaps one, maybe two interesting questions. Now, just as an aside... The number of websites that waste that opportunity by asking the question, Are you willing to answer a survey? absolutely astounds me because we know that we already know that everyone's going to click no, and all we've done is learn what we already learn. I mean, if you're going to do that sort of catch in the moment survey, my pro tip is ask them something interesting. You know, for example, Why did you come to this website today? is something that they can answer straight away without having to you know, distract themselves too much from what they're trying to do. So catching them in the moment is a great strategy. Another example I really love of that is I've seen people queuing at kiosks at the end of museum exhibits to give their feedback on the exhibit. Unbelievably, it's so unusual to see people actually queuing up to answer a survey. And not just once, you know, quite regularly I've seen that if it's really interesting exhibit and a well-designed survey at the end. So that's one of the
0: strategies. Yeah, because I, I think, you know, the, the amount of times I've maybe got, you know, an email a couple of days after the fact, you know, where I, I, I'm not really sure how I've, you know, felt about something or, or you know, or I'm not kind of in the mood or the zone to kind of be answering questions, whereas I might have been, you know, if I had have been offered the survey straight away.
1: Absolutely. And and what you've got there, when you're asked after the fact that's my the most typical way people try and find people, which is that they have some kind of list. In this case, the organization or business that you interacted with has you on their system as a customer or someone who's contacted them or something. They have a list of those people and they're using that list to generate a sample. And again, pro tip, don't ask everybody. You know, we're all bombarded with this stuff all of the time. If you're going to use a list, try and be selective and try and make it clear why that person's exact feedback this week is more important. So could you remember the title, perhaps, of of any recent email that you've had of that nature?
0: Oh, God, now you're asking someone with a terrible memory for these kinds but of things. It,
1: it just shows how unmemorable they are, right? Right. It's like yeah. we see them all the time, you know? So it's like another one comes in, tell us about your recent transaction or something. It's like, mm. yawn, I've got dozens <laughs> of those things. Now let's try something that says, thank you so much for buying from us. Please can you answer our question of the week? Right? Yeah. We're only asking ten people, and oh, I'm one of ten. Oh, I will answer. It's only a question of the week. Excellent. You know. Yeah. It would stand out. It would be a little bit different. It would be a short thing. You know, it's a question of the week. It's not like your lifetime history of something or other. And so, these days, with we've got so many techniques for sending out little tiny surveys which could be much more engaging and short and respectful of people's times to much smaller samples, and we could get much better response rates and data quality, rather than this constant bombardment of, oh no, they're just like everyone else. They're sending me another thing. I don't do them. I'm bored with them. I haven't got time today. And the response rates are terrible.
0: I suppose that that kind of leads us on to the actual questions and 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 like you said there about, you know, you're one of ten People were asking: Is it is it about kind of asking you know one person or a few people like the right question rather than just you know blanket asking a hundred people?
1: I think you may have read my slides. Have you oh, seen? I, oh, I that's have. One. Yes. <laughs> asking one person the right question is more useful than asking ten thousand people the
2: right
1: <laughs> question. <laughs> oh, dear, so obviously your memory is not as bad as your clothing. <laughs> on court. No, absolutely. I mean sometimes i think people can you know i see this sort of thought process going through colleagues and clients all the time it's like somebody in a senior exec role or something says we need to find out about our customers great that's a great thing to do we need to get ten thousand of them like why and that's it you know there's no further thought process involved (laughs) in it it's like yeah, it's lovely that we're going to do research. If we knew what you sort of decisions you wanted to make based mm. on that, we could craft the thing a lot better. And one of the things I've really learned from the survey methodologists is that they try and do the smallest sample they can, consistent with actually being able to get good quality results. Why do you do the smallest sample? Because it's less work, it's less intrusive on the people who want to answer, It gives you the opportunity to do another one if the first one goes wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It can happen to the best of us. There can be some sort of technical thing or something completely unexpected happens, which blows the whole thing out of the water. I'm going to give you an example, which is which is quite painful. But, for example, survey methodologists in Russia now are finding that people just slam the door in their faces, you know. I'm not answering your questions I might be thrown into jail
0: right. because the russian
1: state is is locked down because of the war that they've inflicted on yeah. Ukraine. So, you know, boom that that would ruin your field work, wouldn't it? So, having a small sample gives you opportunity to do another one another day and it also gives you opportunity to learn from the first one. So, with the exception of the censuses which obviously cover everybody, Generally, they try and keep the samples as small and tight as they possibly can. That was about the numbers. But then, you know, the point you made absolutely so accurate, getting the right question in front of the right people and asking questions using familiar words in familiar ways, asking them in the language, the style of speaking and phrasing that the people who want to answer are going to use rather than your corporate jargon. All of those things really, really help to get good quality results.
0: Yeah, I think that's so important, the the being personal kind of element to it. Mm-hmm. The other thing that kind of caught my eye was, you know, reading about what you wrote on fieldwork and particularly you had an example of invitations and how invitations are so important. And one of the examples you had was kind of, you know, a screenshot of an email that was very leading. It was basically encouraging you to leave a review and it had like, you know, five stars, golden stars, you know, proudly displayed at the top. And I get, I recognize these emails. I get these emails and I always ponder you know they're so transparent in what they're trying to do that it kind of puts me off you know leaving a review
1: exactly and you know this kind of manip using a, a survey to manipulate customers is is clearly something that i cannot possibly recommend and then the other one is using feedback to reward or punish your staff so you get these unedifying stories of customer service reps saying Please, can you give me a 10 on the net promoter score? Otherwise, I'll be punished. And that doesn't do any good to your organization whatsoever. It's undermined the entire method. All you're doing is is measuring your ability of your staff to guilt trip your customers. Is that something you really want to measure? I think not. You know, trying to get some of these routine bad behaviors eliminated would be a great thing if we could say to people no don't just routinely ask and ask and ask in ways that get gamed or manipulated unhelpful thing to do
0: just before we continue with today's episode i wanted to let you know about OffScript. it's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary ai driven transformation we're currently experiencing episode one is on our youtube channel right now here's a teaser of what you can expect
2: I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt or die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. Welcome to Offscript.
0: That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. But just before we wrap up, I always ask kind of what's next or, you know, do you have any kind of particular plans or projects for the year?
1: Well, secretly, I'd love to get back to forms, actually. (laughs) 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 I've sort of accidentally refocused my work into surveys, which is, Which is fun and I'm happy to do it, but really, I love the forms the (laughs) most, you know. So, if anyone happens to have any forms things they'd like me to do, then I'd be extremely excited. But also, you know, having spent a lot of time writing the book, I'm very happy to have the opportunity to talk to people about their survey questions. And for example, I do form studios a lot where it's a meeting where we We look at a particular form, but also nowadays I'm doing quite a lot of survey studios where I get together with an organization that has a particular survey problem. And we kind of spend an hour or so together just kind of looking at the ins and outs of the sort of things I say, but with a focus on what that organization's particularly looking at today. And they're a lot of fun. You know, I certainly would love to do more of them as well.
0: Absolutely. And so where can our listeners go to keep up with you and your work?
1: Well, my website is called effortmark. That's like the word effort followed by the word mark.co.uk. And I have quite a lot of stuff on there. I've been writing various articles and so on for about 20 years now. So there's a certain amount of stuff there for people. I also try wherever I can. I try and release my slides for people to use under Creative Commons license. So if you want to pick them up and use them, providing you keep my strap line and my Creative Commons there I'm very happy for you to have them. Um, also I'm um, I'm on LinkedIn of course so occasionally post on there if you want more sort of business formal style social media and I'm also on Twitter as CJ forms uh, CJFORMS and I enjoy sort of chatting with people about forms and survey questions on Twitter as well. so those are the three places to find me. And of course, my contact details are on my website. I impress my younger generation, my nephews and nieces, by saying, if you Google me, you get me. <laughs> saying, That's amazing.
0: <laughs> I love that. Uh, oh. we'll, we'll link to all of those in the post. Caroline, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Oh, thanks so much. It's been so fun. Really appreciate the opportunity.
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Caroline Jarrett. You can put all that new surveys knowledge to use in our recently released game-changing new product, Intercom Surveys, which allows companies to ask questions from right within their product at exactly the right time and place, and then take direct action with the answers and insights they get. That's because Intercom is a single connected platform. So the survey results can trigger powerful workflows for everyone, from the sales team, to the marketing team, to the support team, To find out more, just check out intercom.com forward slash surveys. Okay, that's it for today. I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This is Inside Intercom.